please remain standing for the reading of God's word. This morning, we're turning to the end of John chapter 2 and the beginning of John chapter 3. And this is, I'm sure, a familiar passage to many of us, but I invite you to hear it afresh this morning, beginning at verse 23 of chapter 2. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have been participating in your worship. We have actively sung your praises we have actively joined in praying to you now help us to continue to be active in the quietness of listening to your word for that we need the active unction of your spirit to enable us to hear and respond by faith to your message for us today bless pastor andrew as he opens your word to us so that it does not return void may we be convicted comforted and challenged 
to grow in our faith as we respond to your love for us. We pray all this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be together again and open this word. It is a familiar word, as Mark said. Um, we're going to be focusing on verses 1 to 15 this morning. I, I read a little bit uh, before and also the, the passage about um, God so loving the world. Uh, to give us a little context and, and to set the scene, uh, as we dive into it, I want to start with the words of a rabbi, not Jesus, not Nicodemus, just another Jewish rabbi who lists seven things that are hidden from man, uh, humanity. The day of your death, the day of consolation, the depths of judgment, one's reward, the time of the restoration of the kingdom of David, the time when the guilty would be destroyed, and what is within the heart of another man. These are things, according to the rabbis, that we cannot know. So it's interesting when we put on our Jewish uh, listening, I was going to say Jewish listening goggles, but that's like mixing metaphors there. But I think you know what I mean. You know, and then we read what is said here at the end of chapter 2. Uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to the people there because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Uh, Jesus is somebody different. Uh, he, he is not like us, and that is one of the things that John is eager to point out to us. You know, there are things that we can't know. We don't know the day of our birth, the day of our death, the day of the restoration of the kingdom of David, all of these various things. We struggle to know what is in the heart of another human. I've been married for 32 years and I'm still working on understanding what is in the heart of my wife. You know, I love her dearly, uh, but we have these limitations. And, and Jesus, we're told, he knows us. And so it's interesting as Nicodemus comes to Jesus, just how Jesus works with him. I, you know, we've been talking about in this whole series is about these encounters with Jesus. People come and they, they flock to Jesus and they're people of all different types, different races sometimes, different uh, ethnic backgrounds, kind of the same thing. Uh, different educational backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. We have men, women. We have all, all sorts of different people, rich, poor. Uh, and they're all coming to Jesus, but Jesus knows what's in their heart. And Jesus speaks to them in the way that they need to be spoken to and, and the way that draws them in. Uh, he's very inviting in that way. And uh, Jesus understands them even better than they understand themselves. Um, you know, it's the other thing that just as we get going here to point out, um, 
there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that's come from God. Night is an interesting detail. Um, it, it probably had something to do with secrecy, um, probably had something to do with uh, him not wanting others to know that he was going, whether it be the public. He may have been going as a representative of the Sanhedrin. We, we just don't really know. But night also has a, a big sort of thematic role in the book of John. You remember, <coughs> uh, you remember in John chapter 1 where it talks about the light uh, shining in the darkness. The darkness has not come overcome it. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in and through him. John was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And then, of course, we see that same theme picked up at the end of this passage that we read, verse 19. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. There, there's just this theme of light and darkness. Some of you will remember in John chapter 13 when Judas dips the bread into the, the wine with Jesus. Jesus says, go out, do what you have to do in terms of betraying him. And then John says, he went out and it was night. You know, I don't think it was just to tell us what time of day it was. There, there's a picture here of light and darkness. There's this picture of the struggle. And part of what John wants us to see about Nicodemus is that he came to Jesus and it was night in his own soul. Uh, there was a darkness that was enveloping him, whether he knew it or not. Whether he was fully aware of it or not, there was a struggle in this man, a Pharisee. So I want to talk about this morning, the night, the journey in the night. Uh, some of my favorite books as a kid, Anne DeVries uh, wrote a four-volume set about uh, the German occupation of the Netherlands, uh, Journey Through the Night, so I had that kind of on my mind. Uh, great young adult book. Some of you may be familiar with them. Uh, but, you know, Nicodemus has his own kind of journey in the night, and I want to talk about that here in terms of its morality, its fleshliness, and then ultimately its helplessness. And then we'll look at how Jesus shines the light into the darkness. So it's morality. We're told in verse 2 that uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Um, it's likely that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. We kind of get a hint of that in John chapter 7 when they are together and they are debating what to do with Jesus. Nicodemus gets up, speaks as a member of that body, addresses them. The Sanhedrin had religious jurisdiction over every Jew in the world. And one of its duties was to examine and deal with anyone suspected of being a false prophet. It may be on those grounds that Nicodemus was sent to have this conversation 
with Jesus. He may have gone on his own. We, we're not told. We don't know. But you get kind of a sense of who this guy was. He was an important person uh, in that Jewish community. He was a member of this ruling body. He was probably also a member of a distinguished family. We're told in John chapter 19 that Nicodemus was the one who brought the 75 pounds of spices needed in order to bury Jesus according to custom. That was a very costly thing uh, in those days. And so he had wealth and means in order to move forward. Uh, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have been scrupulous uh, about keeping the law. Uh, he would have been thought always about goodness in the context of being separated from all ordinary life in order to keep every detail of the law of the scribes. So we get a picture of, of Judas, or of Judas, of Nicodemus. He, he's not coming to Jesus as a prostitute, as a tax collector, you know, some of these different things. He's not demon-possessed. He's, he, he's not that. He's a very upright, respectable, uh, God-fearing, rule-keeping Pharisee, powerful, uh, had, uh, had some presence in terms of who he was in the community. And it's this guy who is coming to Jesus. It's this guy who is in the night. Which is an interesting thing for us to think about. You know, as we think about coming to Jesus and we think about what we need and what we don't need, sometimes we can really see the brokenness in, in certain lifestyles and we can see people who are really struggling. And then there are other times when there are people who seem to have it all together on the outside. They're well-respected in the community. They uh, are religious adherents. Uh, they, they, they seem to have all of the answers, all of the resources, but it is still night. We get a further sense of this when we understand kind of how Nicodemus approaches Jesus. You see that, I think it's again in, in verse 2, uh, so this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus comes full of confidence. At least it seems that way. Uh, Nicodemus has a mission, or he has a, a personal inquiry to make. But he comes and he starts his inquiry with what he knows. We know. We, the, the Sanhedrin. We, the, the Pharisees. We, the, the Jewish religious council. We, we know. We, we see. We, we know that you must be, you must be a teacher. Come from God. We, we have confidence in this. And as we see over the course of this interaction, Jesus begins to, uh, begins to challenge what Nicodemus actually knows. Uh, and Jesus begins to kind of poke holes in that. But there is this strong sense that Nicodemus is coming 
because he knows what he needs. Nicodemus is coming because he has seen some things and he knows that there is something in Jesus, but Jesus is going to keep working with him. I wonder how often, again, part of our journey in, in this study is to see ourselves and different types of people, what type of person are we? Do we oftentimes come to Jesus knowing what we need, knowing what God should be doing, knowing uh, how the world ought to be operating according to Andrew? Uh, we, we come to Jesus, you know, very similar to Nicodemus. We, we know. We, we know that you are a teacher. We, we have this. But as we're going to see, Jesus is going to push him a little further. It's interesting to me how as this goes on, Nicodemus just becomes less and less sure, less and less confident. Jesus, you know, if you look at each of Nicodemus's speeches, I don't know if you have like the red letter Bible, uh, but in the red letter Bible, you look at the black letters and you can see Nicodemus speeches, Jesus speeches, Nicodemus speeches, Jesus speeches, Nicodemus, you can see it if it's all black too, but uh, uh, you, can, you can see these things. Nicodemus starts out with a long speech and then it gets a little shorter and then it gets a little shorter, and then it's just one line, and then Nicodemus stops talking. And, and we, don't, we don't hear a word again from Nicodemus in this particular story. Uh, Nicodemus, in his encounter with God, comes with, or encounter with Jesus, comes with all of his confidence, but he becomes more and more helpless as the conversation goes on. It, it is really night for Nicodemus. Whether he knows it or not, he's coming to Jesus in the dark, not just an absence of photons or whatever it is that makes up light, but there's an absence of spirit uh, at work in Nicodemus's life. But Jesus is about to turn on the lights. Jesus is going to work with this guy which is, is just great encouragement. You know, it's, it's so, uh, really intentionally, we're going to look next week, and actually Dan Churchwell is going to be leading us in that because I will be out of town. Uh, but looking at Jesus' interaction with the, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, two people coming to Jesus, very different in the way that Jesus deals with them. But I believe John puts them there to just highlight, like Jesus knows what is in our hearts. He knows what's in the hearts of every man, woman, child that will come to him. And he knows exactly what we need. So let's look at how Jesus turns on the lights for this aristocratic, moral, upstanding person of, of portent, Pharisee, that comes before him. So the first thing that Jesus does is he, he makes this, he makes this uh, comparison or he makes this, uh, he highlights the differences between what is born of the Spirit and what is flesh. You see it throughout this passage. Jesus keeps talking about this. He, he's talking about it in terms of being born again. You have to be born of the water and the Spirit. 
You cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Uh, Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows. Uh, So is everyone who is born by the Spirit. He sort of doubles down on this again a little bit later. I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe. How can we believe if I, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Uh, So Jesus is making these contrasts and, and he's helping Nicodemus to understand that there is a deeper truth at work. Uh, Nicodemus has come to Jesus full of confidence. We know. Did you notice, uh, I don't know if you can call this uh, a slight flex on Jesus' part in verse 11, but he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Like he picked up on what Nicodemus said and he said, you think you know, but I've come from heaven. I'm part of the Trinity. I I come from these eternal councils of peace. Let me speak to you of what we know, not just a ruling body uh, that is fallible, but let me speak to you of things that are infinite and that are eternal and that are deep and that are mysterious, and that are beautiful. And he says, Nicodemus, unless you can begin to track in this way, unless you can begin to see by the Spirit and not the flesh, unless you can begin to uh, imbibe heavenly things and not only content yourself with earthly things, unless that happens... You cannot see the kingdom of God. It's still going to be darkness to you. And then he says, Nicodemus, in order for this to happen, you have to be born again. You have to, uh, you have, to have a fresh start. We can't just add on knowledge to what you already know, there has to be a new spirit that is regenerated. That's, that's what it means to be born again. It, it has to be implanted in you, just like that process when you were initially born. You know, one of the things that, that this encounter, the deeper truth, is that it's not only a a spiritual reality as opposed to a fleshly reality, a heavenly reality as opposed to an earthly reality, but it's something that we cannot affect on our own. No amount of study, no amount of, of moral uprightness, nothing that we can do can bring us to this point of, of seeing the way that God wants us to see. It, it has to be a work from above. We have to be born of the water and the Spirit. These were familiar terms to Nicodemus. I, I don't think that Nicodemus is dense, you know, when he is saying, you know, how can a man be born again? Does he ha- or when he is old, does he have to enter again in t- a second time into his mother's womb? You know, Nicodemus is actually tracking with Jesus. He's picking up on the metaphor. Uh, the, the Jews at that time, they, 
they, they talked about, you know, proselytes as being born into the kingdom of God, these types of things. So it was familiar to him. Nicodemus knew the, the Old Testament. He knew the passages like we saw in our moment of reflection from Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. Nicodemus knew these things, and, and Jesus expected him to know these things. He said, are you a teacher of Israel, and you're not connecting the dots? You're, you're not making sense of what I am putting before you? Nicodemus, this is the deeper truth. The deeper truth is you need to be regenerated. You need to have that fresh spirit put into you. You can't just add to your morality. You can't just add to your knowledge. It has to be fresh. You must be born again. Helpful analogy that, that I heard with regards to this Think about uh, fruit. We have lots of apple trees, cherry trees uh, around West Michigan. Um, let's say, for instance, that you have an apple tree or a pear tree in your yard, and next year uh, you decide that you want it to grow cherries. Uh, so you take your, your apple tree, your cherry tree, you throw fresh fertilizer on it, you water it, you prune it, uh, you do all of these things to make it a better tree, and the next year it bears apples or pears. It, it doesn't bear cherries. Uh, why doesn't it bear cherries? Well, because it's still an apple tree at the core. Uh, it, it, you know, no matter how much better you make that tree, it, it's still at its genetic core, it, it, it's apples. If you want cherries, you need to rip out that tree and you need to make a, fr a fresh planting. And that's the only way that you are going to get cherries. And that's what Jesus wants to communicate. This is the deeper truth that he's saying to Nicodemus. Like, Nicodemus, you're looking for the kingdom of God, but you're going through these old wineskins. You're going through these old paths. You need, you need to be regenerated. You need to be born again. You, you need to become a cherry tree if you want to bear cherries. You can't just add water or dirt or a little pruning and, and think that you are going to bear cherries. So I think there's an important, I want to spend just one more second here there because there's an important theological uh, distinction here or idea that's being pointed out. What Jesus is not talking about here is conversion. You know, he's not talking about repentance. He's not talking about uh, faith. He's talking about what comes before that. He's talking about what we call regeneration. He's talking about that work of the Spirit. You know, oftentimes we, we, we come to these things and we think, okay, what do I need to do? What is he telling Nicodemus that he needs to do? And actually, what he's telling Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you can't do anything. Just like you couldn't bring about your birth, you, you had no part in that. You can't bring about your spiritual birth at all. 
you must be born again. And that is something that comes from above. One writer puts it this way. He says, the story of Nicodemus is about doing nothing at all. It's about what God does as the absolute primary necessity for us being able to do anything. We don't come to Christ in order to be born again. Rather, we are born again in order that we can come to Christ. Do you see the difference there? And do you see how radical it is what, what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here? And he drives it home uh, with this disturbing reality. Uh, verse 14, he says, if you really want to understand this, go think about Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, the Israelites were bitten by snakes. They were in the wilderness. They had been wandering. These poison vipers came among us. It must have been horrible. I think about that situation. People were getting bit by all of these snakes. They were dying. Uh, their children were dying. Can you just imagine the scene? Uh, and then Moses, uh, seeking the Lord, God said, take a, a serpent, put it on a pole, uh, a brass or bronze serpent, put it on a pole, raise it up, and tell the people to look to the serpent. And as long as they were looking to the serpent, they would be immune from the serpents that were in the bottom or, or that were on the ground and that were biting them. And so Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and Jesus says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then Jesus goes on to say, for God so, the, the, the word so there is really important. Uh, for God in this way, it, it's not like God loved the world so much. It's like, look at how it flows in the context. For it's in this way that God loved the world. He gave His only Son to be lifted up on a cross that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus here is that the reality, Nicodemus, is you can't save yourself. You, you've taken this journey here. You, you, you've come with what you know. You come to get information. But you don't need a teacher. You've called me teacher. You need a savior. You need somebody who can take the poison. You need somebody who is the anti-venom to what you have contracted. You need somebody who is willing to become sin, to be lifted up on a cross. You need somebody that you can look to who can give you this new birth. You don't need a teacher to add to your knowledge. You need a Savior who can deliver you from yourself. And this is what Jesus was inviting Nicodemus to see. This is what Jesus was beckoning Nicodemus into the, the deeper realities. He's beckoning him to understand that the truth about yourself, Nicodemus, is far worse than you ever would have imagined. But the good news is far greater than you ever could have dared hope, because that is what I came to do. I came to be lifted up. 
It's interesting, this, you know, John, out of all of the gospel writers, uses this term quite a bit, you know, the Son of Man being lifted up. Sometimes, you know, we, we talk about theologically Jesus' states of humiliation and exaltation. Some of you familiar with that? We usually say Jesus' humiliation goes from the time when he is born up until his time on the cross, and then his exaltation begins uh, when he is risen from the dead uh, and then ascended into heaven. That's his exaltation. But John mixes them, and he says, the exaltation, I'm lifted up, I'm exalted when I'm on the cross. And that is truly the way. The cross is the nexus. You know, it brings it all together. Uh, that is the exaltation of Jesus. That is where he does his deepest work. And that is what he is offering to each one of us uh, in order that we might be born again. We don't need just a teacher. We need a Savior uh, who can deliver us from the poison of our own lives. I wonder what Nicodemus was thinking about with regards to this. You know, he was scrupulous in terms of his morality, but he knew the Ten Commandments and he can walk down, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. Did I make a god out of my morality, out of my religion? Shall bow down to nothing. What What have I bowed down to this week? What am I worshiping rather than God? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Have we taken his name in vain this week? Uh, Have we put our name forward and then as Christian and then dishonored it by what we have said or how we have acted? You know, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. How have we honored, dishonored our fathers, our mothers in the past week, the authorities, uh, the authorities that God has placed over us, our president, our, uh, our administration, our governor? You know, how have we shown honor to our teachers? I, we just start going down the law and we realize that what Jesus is saying is true. It's not just that We have to just be a little better and we'll be okay. No, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. The third thing I just want to point out here, and I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, Jesus leads Nicodemus on a discernment process. Uh, Nicodemus, we don't hear from him. There's no resolution to where Nicodemus ends up after this nighttime encounter with Jesus. He, he goes silent. But Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in ways that he can understand. He's, he's giving him Old Testament allusions. I talked about Ezekiel 36. We talked about this new birth idea. We talked about Moses being lifted, or the serpent being lifted up, Moses, Numbers 21. Jesus is, is giving this all to Nicodemus because he says, you, you know this stuff, but I want you to think about it. I want you to chew on it. And, and it may take a while, but there is truth there for you to glean and you need to wrestle with it. You need to, you need to, you need to come to understand that the way of life that I am offering you is better than this pharisaical 
way of life. It's better than what you have. He, he gives him space to chew on it. Very different, you know, in, in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus offers her living water, speaking with what is right in front of him and uh, right in front of them. She responds immediately. There's a real uh, sort of joy with that. It's just very different ways in which Jesus deals with people, very different ways in which people come into the kingdom. And I think it's important for us to remember because we're all on our own journey. And sometimes we, we want to make normative one person's experience versus another's. Uh, it can be hard for us. It can be hard for us as parents. You know, we want to see our kids come into the kingdom, you know, at a certain time and in a certain way, at a certain point. And, and sometimes we just have to remember that we all have different journeys. But I love how patient Jesus is with Nicodemus, how he meets him where he is, how he invites him deeper and, and where it actually brings Nicodemus in the end. John chapter 19, such a beautiful passage. Um, after these things, so Jesus has died, his side is pierced, he's hanging on the cross. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus in the night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus. They bound it in linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. What was the result of Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus? He was a changed man. He, he truly was born of the Spirit. We see kind of his journey throughout the book of John, but it ends here with Nicodemus no longer afraid of being seen. They went out into the public. The whole community knew who they were after, who they were about. They were willing to humble themselves, doing what at that time was women's work, to prepare the bodies for burial. It, it wasn't something that was very exalted. They were debasing themselves, these rich, old, arist aristocratic men, these ones that had all the answers. They were willing to embrace a dead Jesus, to become unclean on the day of preparation because they were no longer seeing with earthly eyes. They were seeing with heavenly eyes. They were no longer seeing simply by the flesh. But God had done a work. The Spirit had done a work of regeneration in their heart, and they knew that what Jesus had done on the cross was what they needed. He was their Savior. His uncleanness became their righteousness. And that's the invitation for all of us to see, not just with earthly eyes, to be changed, not just to add a little bit to, to what we already have, but to be radically changed 
after the image of the Lord Jesus to, like Nicodemus, embrace this one whose body and blood are, are before us, shed for us, in order that we might have life, that we might become the righteousness of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for uh, the journey of, of this man. I don't know that he was expecting what he got. I don't know what he was expecting when he walked into your rooms that evening, Jesus. But we know that what he did receive was life-changing. And Lord, I, I pray that for all of us here, we would have a recognition of that life-changing event with Jesus, that life-changing time, that life-changing moment where we've realized that we're seeing not with earthly eyes, but with heavenly eyes, not by the, fle by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Attend us, we pray, as we continue to sing and to worship. Attend us as we come to your table. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.